Alright, hello, hello everyone, welcome back to the Dylan and Dylan Show on this Friday, January 27th, DJ Dylan Jesperson here, joined as my, as always by my main man, DH, Dylan Holt. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, um, I've got a little bit of a raspy voice, last week I was sick, every time I get sick I end up losing my voice for some reason, so it is what it is. Uh, I'm doing good though, I have a new rival. Or I guess I don't have a new rival. Murray State has a new rival. Murray State's in a new conference. They're in the Missouri Valley. And with that, Murray lost a lot of their traditional rivals. And that sucks because you've got so much tradition. You you know what you're expecting. And last night, uh, or we're recording on Wednesday, so Tuesday night, Murray State played SIU, Southern Illinois University. And the game was chippy the whole time. SIU is having a great season. And at the end of the game, in the post-game uh, handshake line, a fight broke out. And it's like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. And it got really chippy between players and players, players and coaches, coaches. Uh, and then fans got into it. It was, it was ugly scene. Thankfully, nothing got violent. But it was pushing back and forth, lots of words exchanged. And it carried over to social media. And um, Brian Mullins, the head coach of SIU, played off really nicely. He, he kind of just played it lighthearted. And it's like, hey, that's nice. It's a new rivalry. Hopefully, they can get past an ugly situation and just make it fun. And that, that's hopefully what it can come to be and I like SIU and Murray are like separated by two hours like it's really really close so it'd be a fun instant rivalry and I'm all for it uh, as long as we don't have like ugly things like what happened last night because that that wasn't great a great look for Murray or SIU but as long as we get past that I'm all for new rivalries we came over with our rival Belmont at a new one in SIU who knows college basketball a lot of fun it's even more fun when you've got those heated rivalries so Last night might have been a start of a new one, so I'm all for it. But yeah, uh, I'm coming into, I'm getting used to having a new rival. So it's it's kind of a weird feeling. I don't know how to feel about it, but I'm all right. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to make it through with my raspy voice. And I, I hope you, you're okay with it. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I hope you're feeling better after uh, being under the weather last night or last week. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that story. And I think uh, a lot of times sports journalists are a bit too like there's there's one way or the other you're like all in on like stuff like that and you overlook violence on sometimes and on the other side it's like you're up in arms every time rivalries like even get a little chippy like that's that should happen at least once a year if you're a good basketball team you should like get into a shoving match with someone that's just how sports are and i think that's like you said that's that's how rivalries start when you're a new team in a new conference you need something like that to kind of build something off of because yeah when you're in a new conference a lot of the times you can just kind of feel out there and just like in a space by yourself uh trying to find your way so getting something like that to sink your teeth into uh initially can uh is all can only be good for murray state so as a murray state podcast uh i'm happy to hear that uh uh from our side uh hope everyone's doing well uh we got a good show for you guys lined up we're starting as always with our out of the box draft uh a new crop of mcdonald's all americans were announced just recently uh headlined by young lebron james jr Bronny james uh but that got us in the mood of drafting uh some of the best players to go through the mcdonald's all-american game uh and that's really just some of the best players that have ever played in the nba as you look back uh at least from the 80s on to about the mid teens uh 2010s 2015 about uh some of the more recent classes have you know 
still working their way through the NBA and stuff. But uh, we're going to be drafting a starting five of some of the best players to go and play in that McDonald's All-American game. Pretty self-explanatory. Dylan, do you have a coin ready to go? Because I don't think I do this time. I sure do. All right, it's on you this week. Is this Vermont? It is Vermont in the year of our Lord 2001. Wow. Oh, I caught it. That's uh, George Washington. That's the first pick. And you know what? I'm going to take the first pick. George Washington for the first and yep. when you get the first, that makes sense. George Washington is not my first pick, but I am <laughs> taking the first pick. George Washington, for sure, would have been a McDonald's All-American. I guess he's just an All-American when you think about it. But my first pick, this is called the out-of-the-box draft. I'm getting out of the box with this. I don't think anyone would expect this to be the first pick, but I'm going to use. I'm going to take this person as my first pick. I'm going to the year 2004. I'm taking, in this starting lineup, Power forward, Candace Parker. Uh, the McDonald's All-American games, they started having uh, men and women's games in the 2000s, I believe. Candace Parker is an all-time great in the game of basketball, not just uh, women, but uh, just all-around basketball. Uh, Candace Parker, Tennessee volunteer legend, WNBA legend, and it all can be traced back to her time uh, when she was a McDonald's All-American back in 2004. So I'm very, very excited to get an all-time great in Candace Parker, and specifically an all-time great Tennessee volunteer in Candace Parker with my first pick. Really like that pick to not have Candace Parker written down, but I think uh, if you're going to go the, the the women's game route, there's there's no better pick than Candace Parker for sure. Uh, with my first pick, I'm going to get my small forward off the, off the board, and uh, I think this is the one that probably most people thought would go number one. I'm going with LeBron James. I'm going to get I'm going to get my the the one one overall uh, and put him on the board. And uh, because now I, I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity being you a LeBron guy getting the first pick overall. Uh, I didn't think it, he would be on there, and I didn't think this next pick would be on there too. So if I have a chance to go back to back, LeBron, MJ, I, I can't pass it up, and I don't think I have to say much about that, like or justify that. I'm gonna put LeBron at the three, put MJ at the two, uh, and we talked about this before we were coming in. We didn't really realize how early the McDonald's All American game started, and so how many guys going back. Uh, even in the seventies, uh, with like guys like Magic and Isaiah, not to take any of your picks, but uh, but if I can take anyone from basically the eight, the the late seventies onwards, I get basically LeBron and MJ at my two and my three. That's a that's a a fantasy that every basketball fan has had. So I, I think I'm gonna have to take it and put that McDonald's All Americans patch right on their chest for my team, and I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. Love both those picks. I expected them to go uh, two and three after I picked Candace number one. That's A-OK with me. Um, I love both those guys. Obviously a huge LeBron guy. And his son is the inspiration for this draft as he got selected to be a McDonald's All-American in this year's game. Um, With my second and third picks, I am going to go with an all-time duo. I'm bringing a duo to my team. I'm going with 1989 McDonald's All-American Shaquille O'Neal, one of the greatest centers to ever play the game. And then I'm going to go with 1996 McDonald's All-American Kobe Bryant as my two guard. You got Michael, I got Kobe. Uh, I'd love to see that one-on-one. We get to see that. And I think the 98 All-Star game, they went one-on-one a couple of times. 
bring it to another all-star game. This time, the high school versions of uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I'd be all bad, and obviously, you got that duo of Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest duos of all time. It's become a meme at this point. Anytime you've got two athletes that are really good together, you throw that Kobe and Shaq highlight reel on Twitter, and you're like, X player and Y player, and that's just how it goes. So very, very excited get to get the duo of Shaq and Kobe with my uh, second and third picks. I'll throw it to you for your next two. Uh, obviously, love both those picks. Uh, both of them were on my list. Were up there, you know, guys that I would have picked if MJ was gone. Kobe was my next pick. Uh, Shaq was my first center pick. So uh, definitely don't have to explain yourself there. But love the picks. Love the reasoning. Uh, with my next pick, I, I got a little bit of a, a leeway I, I, with LeBron and MJ. I can go a little bit creative with my power forward slot, especially with Candace Parker there. So uh, I'm gonna go. With with a little bit off the beaten path because it, it, he's a he's a somewhat of an NBA legend, definitely not a broadcasting legend. If you've uh, watched Twitter in the past few few years, um, but a Michigan high school legend and a Michigan college legend in Chris Weber. And if you look up the top uh, performances in the McDonald's All American games, uh, LeBron had a great game. Shaq had a great game. Uh, Chris Webber had 28 points and 12 rebounds in a two-point victory. Uh, he had a game-winning dunk. That was back when they, they took these types of games seriously. So uh, if you're talking about the greatest McDonald's All-Americans, like Chris Webber was one of the great recruits out there. He didn't necessarily live up to that, but he was still a number one overall pick coming out of college and uh, had a great NBA career. So, uh, and obviously on TNT now, uh, in your ear earlobes for the usually the early game uh, on, on TNT. Uh, but Chris Weber, uh, give me that at power forward. And uh, for my next pick, I'll get my point guard. Uh, and I, I mentioned him earlier. I don't think uh, if if I'm gonna get the the Michigan high school legend in Chris Weber, I'll get the other Michigan high school legend in Magic Johnson. Uh, obviously, when you talk about point guards nowadays like there's still very few guys that fit the archetype of magic johnson i feel like uh you know the six foot eight you know playmaker that he is there's still guys like you know ben simmons that was almost him but it's just not you know there hasn't been another magic uh, and uh, i think you know he speaks for himself so give me magic johnson give me uh chris weber i'll throw it to you for your next two picks i feel like power forward the the pickings are a little bit slimmer especially with power forward it's hard to define it's like who is a power forward because a lot of guys they fall where there are three a lot of guys fall more towards a uh, center and like nowadays like basketball's become almost positionless so it's hard to pin down like real fours chris weber a thousand percent is a power forward like fits it to a t so uh, that's a good pick and obviously magic johnson's magic johnson it's an, He's one of the greatest point guards of all time, uh, which makes it hard for me when I'm going to pick my point guard, which is why I'm saving it for last. For my small forward, I'm going to go with one of my personal favorite small forwards. Obviously, LeBron's probably my favorite. Right there with him, out of that 2003 draft, but the 2002 McDonald's All-American game, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Melo, all-time great in my eyes, one of my all-time favorites. I've loved watching Melo's career. Obviously, don't really remember Melo's McDonald's All-American game. A little bit before my uh, time of watching these kinds of events. But Melo uh, was a dog in high school, obviously. Was a dog at Syracuse. And then all he's done in the NBA. Melo, all-time great. And I 
I've watched Melo and LeBron go at it throughout the years so many times. Why not do it one more time? And obviously the the Oak Hill um, St. Vincent St. Mary game from 2002 has become infamous at this point from when high school LeBron and high school Melo faced off back in the day. So why not run it back high school Melo, high school LeBron in this uh, scenario that we have drawn up? And then I've got a point guard spot and I've got two point guards that aren't Magic Johnson wrote written down. I'm going to go with the guy that I got to watch. The the one uh, McDonald's All-American game like participant that I have on my list that I can pick. That I remember. Well, Kyrie Irving from back in 2010. Kyrie, we, we've talked about Kyrie a lot on this show. And we for, most of the time it's not been great. But um, when we're just talking about Kyrie Irving on a basketball court like he was in 2010, that McDonald's All-American game, he, he takes all your attention. All your attention is focused on Kyrie. It's, I mean, it's, breathtaking. Kyrie Irving is just fascinating to watch on a basketball court. His moves, his ability to shoot, take it to the rim, defend, facilitate everything. Kyrie is just such a special talent. And I remember watching in 2010 as a kid in middle school and I was amazed. I was like, Kyrie Irving is one of these next great basketball players. Like there's guys you can tell in games like this or gals like Candace Parker, you can tell right away that they're going to be one of the next great stars. I think that's the great tradition that the McDonald's All-American game has at this point. It's like, you can see the future stars in the NBA. I remember thinking Kyrie was going to be like one of those guys, one of the best in the world. And who would have thunk it? He was. He went to Duke, played like five games at Duke, became the number one pick, and became an immediate superstar in the NBA. And to this day, even though Kyrie's got all the controversy that we all know about from things he likes to say and uh, believe, he's still an incredible point guard, an incredible basketball player. Kyrie, he's the bee's knees. We've known it since 2010, and I'm happy to add him to my squad of McDonald's All-Americans. So, yeah, Kyrie Irving is my point guard. Now, third to you, you've got one last pick at your center position, I believe. Yep, I got to get my center position. Uh, uh, Like both of those picks, uh, I'm going to be cautious on saying I love a Kyrie Irving pick uh, until further notice. He's been, I'd say, good recently but just because i feel like he's just been silent and i I think that's sometimes the best course of action especially for a guy like that but um getting my center i already got one player out of the 1981 mcdonald's all-american game and michael jordan and i'm gonna get his counterpart in patrick ewing uh, at my uh five spot for the last pick uh there's there's not much after Shaq and Ewing that you could really say is a legitimate center. You'd probably have to go like guys like Chris Bosh or Anthony Davis or, but I mean, they, when you talk about dominant centers in the nineties, you know, Shaq is probably the one. And then Patrick Ewing and those Knicks teams is the one a one B whenever you want to say uh, again, another guy that, uh, without Michael's success in Chicago, uh, we might look at his career a little bit differently uh, because those Knicks teams were pretty good and had, had a decent chance of winning a, a few championships if uh, you know the Bulls weren't going to the, the finals every year out of the East. But uh, again, and another guy that I wish would just like get into analysts, analysts and like get his because things aren't working out at Georgetown, obviously, and what, what's been going on there. But like. I also remember Patrick Ewing as the guy, you know, the the legend, the legendary center that he was. And, you know, there there aren't a lot of guys made like Patrick Ewing anymore. So uh, happy to have him round out my uh, squad of LeBron, uh, MJ, Chris Webber, 
and and Magic Johnson. Uh, did you have any alternates that didn't? I did. The other job? point guard I was talking about was Jason Kidd from back in 1992. Obviously, an all-time great point guard. Got Kevin Durant from 2006, Ben Simmons from 2015, uh, Kevin Garnett from '95, Anthony Davis from 2011, and Carl Anthony Towns from 2014. So a lot of guys that uh, we got to watch play in this game didn't quite make our list because we talked about it before the show started. When, you, when you're talking about all these great All-Americans, it's like a lot of the greats of all time in the NBA, and it's it's a credit to what they've done with that All-American game because they've been able to uh, accumulate so much talent through the years. Did you have any honorable mentions? Yep, I had KD, a few of those guys you mentioned. Also, Derek Rose, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, uh, a few guys at that point guard spot you could have taken, Anthony Davis, Chris Bosh. Um, uh, a few Dominique Wilkins going way back, and then uh, I had a few uh, kind of biased ones in Grant Hill, Rashid Wallace, Chauncey Billups, KG, and Paul Pierce. Uh, I think also deserve a shout out. So those those Celtics teams uh, were well represented as well. Uh, looking forward to getting your guys' opinions on those teams. We're going to move on to the question and answer segment this week. Uh, I'll throw it to you, DH. You've got a question about the uh, NBA uh, and the recent uh, kerfuffle with the Warriors. Yeah, um, so, so we've been speaking about NBA greats. The Golden State Warriors, they get a lot of current day greats that are going to go down as all-time greats on their team. And they've been criticized because they sat a couple of those big-time stars uh, when they played the Celtics recently. And you know, these fans, they went, they, they paid to see those guys play. And um, they were upset. And Warriors coach Steve Curry was like, yeah, I, I completely understand why you're upset. And But he wasn't like, hey, we should have played him. He argued that the NBA should reduce the schedule. to, And he had a specific number. He had 72 games. So my question is, would reducing the schedule be a good thing for the NBA or more of the same? And I'd like your opinion on that. This is, I think, my opinion is, if you've listened to this show, you probably know my opinion coming into this. I, I think all professional sports leagues need to have less games at this point. I think uh, basketball is one of the big ones. Any of the of the leagues that are over, like, 60 games or so in their regular season, uh, it seems to just drag on. And a lot of the games, like that game in Cleveland, where you just throw it away and you don't really care. Uh, and that it's it's something that comes up all the time when I talk about like, what's the problem with the NBA, the MLB, even to some extent, the NFL at this point is it's the additional games. And the fact that you could lose, you know, two, three, four, five games, you know, in the NBA, you can lose 20, 30 games and it doesn't really matter as much as getting into the playoffs does. So um, to that extent, like just the, the base, should we reduce the games? Of course. Like, I, I think it'll only give you more chances to see some of your best players. You know, they're not going to worry about risking injury and stuff like that yet. I don't know if 72 games is really going to do much of anything, though. I, I don't think that's much of a reduction of, of, of anything. And if anything, that will only show owners like a reduction in the reduction in revenue that would be like catastrophic. They're like, Oh no, we can't reduce it anymore at this point. And you're only going to get the same product. I mean, 72 and what is it? 89 games or, or what, what is it now? 80, 89, 82. Games? Is it 89, 82 games. So yeah, you're only taking 10 games off the top. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, 
I understand his thought process, and like that's a that's probably about how many games. If you had a fully healthy player, that's probably about how many games you would want for load management to sit out throughout the season. That's about two games a month. You know, it it makes sense to take that about that much, but that's not accounting for the guys like Anthony Davis, who literally can't get through a, a like a thirty game season at this point without hurting himself. Uh, so uh, there's. I'm very much in favor of it I, because I think the product of professional sports needs to be improved. I think on a nightly basis, you should be able to, uh, to go and find multiple games. Uh, kind of like I, the, I, I think a lot of professional sports need to find a way to have the college football model where it's like when we watch on a college football Saturday, you, you're 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 getting five or six games at every time slot, and every one means something in a different way. Whether it be you know conference standings, national standings, whatever it may be, where I feel like you go through weeks of of, of professional basketball, professional um, baseball, without meaningful games until finally the stars align and a couple teams that have similar records go against each other. And it really doesn't mean anything in the long run because they're both going to make the playoffs at the end of the day. So uh, I think, yeah, there's things that can be done to make the regular season better. And I think reducing the games is one of the big things. I just don't think 72 games is the mark. I think we're going to have to get to like 50, 55, somewhere in there to show that like, okay, we're, we're committed to making this actually better uh, from a standpoint of we'll put our resources into these 50 to 55 games uh, and, and actually make those all, all 55 of them worth going to. And then maybe, maybe you're not seeing these like half full arenas for most of your games because people actually expect to see, you know, their star players when they go out there. I've, I've told this story. I don't know if I've ever told it on this podcast, but I was a kid uh, I went to go see the Pistons at the Palace uh, back in the, the going-to-work Pistons days. you know. So I was excited to see them, and they were playing the Houston Rockets in the T-Mac uh, Rockets days. And I was really excited uh, to go see that team, too, because I played 2K. I, I'd, really, I'd fallen in love with the NBA at that point. And T-Mac and Yao were both hurt. And I don't know if they were actually hurt or if they were just sitting out because they didn't want to risk an injury. But either way, it's – those are the types of things that you like it's been happening since like 2008, 2009, and, and we've only expanded the NBA season from then. So uh, I think, yeah, I, while I'm on Steve Kerr's side, we do need to reduce the games. We also need to find a bigger, like uh, something substantial because 72 games, I think I, I, I actually think that would be a disaster for that argument because it would only hurt uh, the revenue side and not really improve the product. So uh, I like his thought process, just don't like where he kind of landed on the the, 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 the numbers wise, but I want to hear your opinion. There is nothing worse than going to a sporting event and the star player not playing or the other team, the team that you're not a fan of, you get pumped up because you're like, that team has whatever star player and they don't play. That is so disappointing. I'll never forget the first NBA game I ever went to. Uh, it was the year after John got drafted. My fraternity, we bought group tickets to see the Grizzlies play the Mavericks. And a pretty big matchup. Obviously, seeing rookie Jaw, that's our guy. We we watched him for two years at Murray State. We drove down from Murray to Memphis, about a two-hour trip. And we get there and we find out, Ja was not going to play because it was the second night of a back-to-back. That's the whole reason we were going, was to see Ja Morant. Then we find out 
Kristaps Porzingis was not going to play for the Mavericks because it was the second night of a back-to-back. And it's like, well, this sucks. It ended up being all right because we got to see Luka Doncic play, and that was special, and I'm I'm going to hold on to that forever. But it's like, man, that really, really sucks. And it feels like the NBA has been the league that's dealt with it the most because I don't know if it's more publicity or whatever. Like, Obviously, baseball deals with it, but it's almost at this point expected with baseball because you know when you go to the ballpark, you're probably not going to see the ace unless you plan to see the ace of your team. And you know there's days that guys are going to sit on the bench. It just happens. That's how, that's how baseball works. It's a long season. It's kind of luck of the draw. Basketball, though, you show up to the uh, arena and your guys presumably healthy, you expect them to play and it doesn't always happen. And like we, obviously I was talking about the Warriors Tuesday night. There, there was a story that went viral, a young heat fan, his family flew from Argentina to Miami to watch Jimmy Butler. And there was a sign that said, dear Jimmy, we flew 4,405 miles to see you play. Can we get a photo? You know, like the standard little kid sign at a game. An hour before the game, Jimmy Butler was ruled out with a back injury. And that injury could be legitimate. I mean, we don't know. But still, it's like that that sucks. And it's turned into a really good story. Jimmy made up for it today. Uh, on Wednesday, Jimmy invited the family to get a tour of the Heat facility. And like turned into a really cool story. But these things shouldn't happen. Because... In the NBA, I, I I understand the arguments for load management. I really do. Like, it's a long, grueling season. It's hard to play 82 games. There's no doubt about it. I, I also agree with Steve Kerr. We need to just reduce it. And I don't know that 72 would make a change. I agree with you. Maybe go down to, like, 50. Because we've seen it with even, like, college football in the NFL. When you, like, when every game matters, it makes like it puts you on pins and needles. It's like, we have to win. It's not like, Oh, whatever we lost. Like we don't really care. Like there's a lot of NBA games. If you flip them on, there's no defense. And it's because it's like, whatever we don't really like, it doesn't matter. In the second and third quarters, it's, it's very relaxed play. Sometimes the relaxed play is not going to attract a, um, a not die hard fan to want to watch these games on a random Tuesday in January. It's just not. So the idea, I think the idea should would benefit from a player standpoint, coach standpoint, um, franchise standpoint, and also fans. Fans will be more interested in going to the, uh, these arenas and turning on the TV because the game's going to matter. You're not going to get in a situation where, Guys are checking up shots with weak defense. Like it's not going to happen. The intensity will be there. Fans will be riled up. The atmosphere, it'll just mean more. You'll have less of those empty gyms, like you said. I, I really don't see a down point on it. The playoffs will be better. In an ideal world, less players are hurt. So we don't get in situations in the playoffs where Kawhi Leonard isn't playing, Paul George isn't playing. You miss a guy like Devin Booker, all these things, they don't happen. You miss Chris Paul, whatever it is. Players are healthy. You get a better play in the regular season and the playoffs. I, I think reducing the schedule is a win, literally for everyone but the owners. And it's tough luck. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I, maybe a better play on the court will still lead to better money. I don't know. I I, I don't really care about the owners' uh, pocketbooks at this point. I care about the players and the play on the court. But that's me. Um, I uh, that that's how I feel about it. And I I think we're in similar boats. 
I totally agree with you in terms of like the, the, the I think it's wild that most people and I think it's pretty agreed upon across even if you're a professional fan versus college fans that the college product is better like on a nightly basis you get more intense games the defense that like you said like people are playing defense uh even in college football like it's 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 a much more passionate feeling and that's not just from like the tradition of college football and stuff like that it's the way that the sport is set up and i think professional sports leagues if they they would they would corner the market and there would be no reason to watch college sports if they just ran their professional organizations the way college sports was run because we would all watch it that way and that would be the they would just be that but with the best athletes on the field and like i it's one of the things where i i look at it and i go how do people look at the nfl and think that it's the same product as college football or the nba and the, think it's the same product as college basketball or even a superior product as some people think it's like i can't even imagine it and it's like that's one of the main things that i can't get my head around it's like how how do you get how are you in tune for 82 games you, you can't be like you're, you're just some of those games aren't going to matter and, and it's i can't that I think that if you're setting up a sports league, that can't be part of how you set it up. You can't have games that just straight up don't matter. Uh, so there, I think producing the games is a big way to counter that. Again, I think we're pretty locked up where it's like 72 is a, is a little bit on the lenient side. Uh, but uh, we'll move on. Uh, I'm moving on to college sports in general. Uh, just last night, uh Eastern Michigan college basketball star and former number one overall recruit Imani Bates dropped 43 points in a loss to Toledo, one of his big scoring nights. Uh, another news story I saw just come across uh, the Twitter sphere. Uh, former five-star Sam Heward, Brock Heward's son, uh, former Washington Husky. He's transferring and is considering an FCS school in Cal Poly. Uh, it got me thinking about guys that, you know, are high recruits, highly regarded that end up having to take a, you know, kind of a step back and go, you know, either mid-major in basketball, FCS and football, uh, and how we measure their successes once they go to those places. Uh, I think it's interesting to think about like how you measure that versus where they get there. They are, uh, at in their, their original spot, their like FBS or their major programs. And I think it'll be interesting to hear your perspective from someone who supports a mid-major program in FCS school. Uh, what you think of like, you know, when they go down, uh, not necessarily down, but when they transfer and they have a lot of success at one of these programs, you view their successes differently versus what they would have done at like one of their major programs. I want to hear what you have to say. So I, For me, being a guy that graduated from a mid-major FCS football school, I view it as if they're a guy like Imani Bates, who was this top prospect, everybody thought by now he'd be in the NBA and he's a superstar in the NBA at this point, like following the footsteps like Chet and Jabari, Paulo. Everybody probably thought he would be doing what Paulo's doing right now, but that didn't happen. Uh, His first year at Memphis was a mess, and he had to end up at Eastern Michigan. And I honestly think from like seeing guys go through the same process, maybe not to the same level of Imani with the level of prospect he was, the level of hype behind him, but seeing guys that were big-time programs going down to FCS, going down to mid-major schools, I think if they're able to keep their focus and still produce, I think it's just as impressive because it's still a grind every night. And those guys, I've seen plenty of guys come down to the OVC 
and they're just significantly better than everyone else on the court. Like Amani Bates is better than every single player in the MAC, and there's no doubt about it. But Amani Bates could be like, whatever, I'm the best player. I don't have to go out there and show out. When Tuesday night he went out there and had one of the best college basketball halves ever, and the, he probably had the best singular game this season thus far. I mean, I, I I don't know for a fact, but I mean, he's playing in the MAC and he had all the eyes in the college basketball world on him, and that that's the effect he's had. So I, I think it's just as impressive because you go from being man, like Amani, he he was in a star-studded recruiting class at Memphis where he obviously he was the guy, but there were other guys on that team. Jalen Duran, for example, was a huge get for that Memphis program. And when Amani had to stay, take steps back, Jalen Duran took a huge strides in being the star freshman. Now that Amani is at Eastern Michigan, he is the guy. And he's the guy not only just on basketball, but like all of athletics, the whole school, I assume there's no one bigger than Amani Bates. I'm, I, that'd be really, really hard to pull off if you're bigger than Amani Bates at Eastern Michigan University. And he's got all that pressure of there, – there might be people that did not care anything at all about Eastern Michigan basketball that are now checking in, and they want to see what Amani's doing. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. And if I'm not mistaken, he's from that area, right? Yeah. So, um, that I mean, that's huge pressure to put on, and he's performing. I mean, he had the game earlier in the season against Michigan where he was on fire, and then obviously last night what he's able to – or on Tuesday night what he's able to do. I mean, it's just – I think it's really, really impressive. So when a guy goes from a power program to mid-major or FCS, I, I think it takes – a lot of focus. And there's guys that talk about this when they go to JUCO. And I, I think it's different when you go to JUCO because JUCO, it literally is you're just playing ball and studying. When you go to a mid-major or an FCS program, you're still at, like, some of these schools are still pretty big. Like, Murray's a school with uh, 11,000 kids. Like, it's not like you're at some JUCO. Um, you have to stay focused. You have to deal with all the distractions. Obviously, like, these schools, they've got um, fan bases. They have people that are very excited for games and they're thinking, okay, this is our savior. He's going to take us to new levels. And some guys, they, they get there and they're like, I'm not at the top of the top anymore. I don't care. And that's where you see the difference of guys that are for real. And I, I mean, Armani, I think he's shown he is a real prospect. I, I think he's going to get his chance to play professional basketball. Um, but yeah, I think, having seen like even guys in football um, Jacksonville state, which is about to be an FBS program in the Sun Belt, I believe they were in the Ohio Valley. They have been my entire life. Jacksonville state uh, became a powerhouse in FCS football by getting transfers from sec programs. And I I think they got kind of had a pipeline with Clemson for a little while and they became a power and you could tell those players took it seriously because they didn't come in and mess around. They beat people to a pulp. And it, it's like, all right, they've got they've got legitimate like NFL prospects on their roster. That's why it's just a different breed. And I remember I have one personal story, like connection to this kind of thing. Demarcus Croker was a four-star recruit that went to Texas as a shooting guard. And after one year at Texas, he transferred to Murray State. DeMarcus Croker had an okay career at Murray State. It wasn't anything crazy. DeMarcus Croker was just an incredible athlete. He never could really put it all together. But anytime DeMarcus Croker was on the court, 
no matter who Murray was playing, they could be playing an SEC team, whoever. He was the best athlete on the court, and there was no doubt about it. And I think there's like there's guys like that they transfer. You can still tell that their level of athleticism is on another level. Like you can tell there's a reason why they were at a Memphis or Michigan or Tennessee. It's the same way Trey Hannibal, a guy that transferred from South Carolina, Murray, he became a star in March Madness last year. Now he's playing for LSU in the SEC again. There's 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 an athleticism difference. I think it's impressive that they can keep their focus and continue to be a star or show that the star that they were supposed to be because there is less um, lights on them, but maybe more pressure because there's more people looking at them and being like, you're our guy rather than just being one of the guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there's two sides to, to the coin on this. Uh, Cause on one side, like a lot of these guys, when you talk about guys like Amani Bates, Sam Heward going to an FCS school, you expect them to have a cu- at least one or two of these eye popping stat lines, maybe not, 29 points and a half and whatever, how many straight field goals the United Bates made. Uh, but you expect them to go out and dominate some lesser opponents at some point, because that's just, you're going, you're not only dropping down, uh, you know, a league, you're dropping down into a league where they have bottom feeders, you know, you're going to have, you're going to face the bottom of that bottom league. Uh, and, and you're going to have, you know, Programs that are just unequipped to face anyone, much less someone that of Amani Bates standards. Uh, so I think a lot of it is more based on like what you do. Uh, you know what you do matters, obviously, and what Amani Bates did the other night is, is obviously impressive and uh, is going to get him looks for the NBA. I think a lot of it is how you do it and how you uh, mature, because I think the other side of the coin is a lot of people like to write off these top recruits, especially when they're guys like Amani Bates who have had a lot of, uh, you know, progress or a lot of hype around them uh, because, you know, they've had a lot of hype behind them. And when they fail, uh, it's fun to, you know, just pile on them Uh, where I I don't like, you know, aside from some of the immature decisions Amani made and maybe, you know, his dad having some influence on him, he was a 16 year old kid making decisions about his, you know, college career and a lot of fans have held that against him uh where you know it's you, you gotta let some of these kids especially growing up in a social media age where they are becoming full-on celebrities at the age of 16 go out and make mistakes and then prove to you that they can that they've grown from those mistakes and i think that you know through amani coming home to ypsilanti coming going through those legal issues that he had at the beginning of the season and now having a few, you know, that successful game against Michigan, going out and having a successful game against Ohio, uh, even in losses, you know, going out there and performing at at high levels, showing showing that he has matured from that immature kid that he was, I think has been bigger for Romani and is bigger for a lot of those kids. Because a lot of these kids, what we're talking about, five-star kids, uh, they'll get to the league regardless. Like they they've been on professional radars since they were in high school, uh, and they just need to be able to prove that they have the maturity and the wherewithal to to do it themselves. And and like you said, the the fact that he has the focus to go out there and do it on a nightly basis against uh, still Division One players, Division One athletes is is an impressive feat in itself. So uh, I, I think you know guys like Amani. Uh, 
are showing that it's possible to go down to, you know, a mid-major program or an FCS program and not necessarily just be seen as like someone who went down, like had to go down. He just had to take a step back uh, and kind of clear, you know, get a structure that was right for him. Uh, and, and I think that it's only, it's, it's only become better for him. I mean, if you don't, think that his situation in Eastern is better than it was in Memphis. I, I think you're lying to yourself at this point. So uh, it, it's good for him. I, I, I think there's two sides of the coin, though. We Michigan just had a kid in uh, a Yabi Oki who had transferred. Michigan was his fourth school. Now he's transferring to Charlotte. He's going to be at his fifth school in five years of eligibility. There, that's I, I'm again, I'm not going to uh, rag on a college kid as much, but like that's five immature decisions uh, like in a row where you're like, I can't, I can't cut it here. I'm going to transfer there. I, I I'm better than this place. I'm going to go there. Now I'm not getting the, what I deserve here. I'm going to go there. That's, that's where you're looking at a kid. That's like, okay, he's just not, you know, challenging himself enough. Whereas Amani, I think is exactly the opposite. He, he had to challenge himself and go, Hey, I, can I make myself what I'm supposed to be at Eastern Michigan? And the fact that he's able to do that is, yeah, is impressive in its own right. So uh, I'm excited to see how the rest of his season plays out and how his NBA career plays out, because I think he's uh, he's destined to, to be drafted at this point. I think he's one of the top guys. I think there's going to be a lot of NBA teams looking at a score like that. Uh, you could add him maybe mid late first round. Uh, you're going to be feeling real good about yourself. Uh, we're going to move on to this week in sports. We got a lot to talk about with the NFL playoffs, baseball hall of fame, a lot of stuff. I'll let DH uh, tackle it first. He's got the NFL playoffs, uh, on deck, so DH, give us your reaction to the playoff matchups. I feel like last week's playoff matchups were hyped up a lot, and they felt kind of underwhelming. I, I don't know. I just I don't feel like the matchups lived up to what they could have been. I feel like the Chiefs Jaguars game suffered because Mahomes got injured, and that's all the conversation was after that. And obviously, the Chiefs were able to take care of business, which they should have. They're significantly better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. But now it's turned into what's going to happen. Can an injured Mahomes get it done? And I mean, it's not like it's like a nothing injury. It's a high ankle sprain. Like that's not not something like you can just like play high level football. And so it'll be interesting to see what Mahomes can do uh, with that injury and how it's going to affect the Kansas City Chiefs moving on. Um, the Eagles absolutely dominated. From the opening kickoff, dominated the New York Giants, which both of us thought the Giants could have upset them. And it was just, it was from the opening kick. I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> this is the Eagles. They're, they're going to run right through the Giants, and that's what they did. It was really, really impressive by the Eagles because we've seen in the past couple of years these teams that have had buys, uh, they've struggled coming out in the playoffs. And the Eagles did not. <laughs> they, they had no problem coming out and just kicking the Giants' butts. And then the Cincinnati went into Buffalo in the snow and looked incredible. Cred, hats off to Cincinnati because there were a lot of um, – I mean, we mentioned it. We thought the Bills were going to go out there, win for DeMar, and the Bengals said, hey, we're just better. They they ran the ball down their throats. Joe Burrow looked like Joe Cool out there, did his thing, and he looks like he's the guy. Uh, really, really looks like the guy. And Cincinnati dominated, and that, that was a real just kind of similar to what the Eagles did with uh, New York, but they're on the road. So it's a little bit more impressive. And it was in the snow, and it was really, really impressive. It was supposed to be Buffalo's year, and Cincinnati said, nah, it, it's not. 
And then um, San Francisco and Dallas, man, Dallas looked really silly, really, really silly. That, that final play call was bad. And San Francisco is too good of a defense to try to run that stuff against. Dak made too many mistakes. The Cowboys are going to have a serious uh, look in the mirror, I think, after this. And be like, what are we? Because we're paying all this money to Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. And it's like, where do we go from here? Uh, I think something a lot of people aren't talking about is Tony Pollard left that game with an injury. The Cowboys were not the same after Tony Pollard left that game. And I, I think that needs to be talked about a lot. And it's just, man, the Cowboys, it felt like that they should have gone further. I know the 49ers are really good, and there's a good chance the 49ers could be playing in the Super Bowl. But it felt like, I mean, they're playing against a team in the 49ers that had Brock Purdy at center, behind center. And I know he hasn't lost the game, and we're going to get into that later, but it really felt like the Cowboys had a great chance to get back to the NFC Championship for the first time since, like, 97. And I, it feels like they really, really just pissed away a great opportunity. I mean, it's a shame. I, I am not a Cowboys fan. I like joking around with them, wearing my Ezekiel Elliott jersey. But, man, it it, it must suck. It, that that fan base is tortured. And I know they had a lot of great years, but they, they've really been tortured since, like, 1997. Basically, like, our whole lives, the Cowboys have been tortured. So it, it sucks for them. But – I feel like it's set up a not so great divisional round has set up some fun conference championships. So I feel like there's a bright side. Um, Cause yeah, I wasn't crazy about the divisional round. It's got some fun stories coming out of it, but wasn't that great. And I, I think you've got some things you'd like to add about the NFL playoffs or the divisional round. Yeah. I'll just wrap things up with, I, I feel like last week was a, a good example of why I don't think either of us can really put our fingers on this this NFL season at this point and how just wide open it is because yeah we both picked the Giants to beat the Eagles and that that game wasn't even didn't even seem like they had a chance at any point uh if I if you told me Brock Purdy was leading the 49ers against the Cowboys team that destroyed the Buccaneers for the first time in in forever and uh I would have told you the Cowboys were going to win that game easily and it, it just it, it so much of that, and yeah, Buffalo losing, uh, the Bengals looking like they're they're amazing. I, it, it's almost like a perfect microcosm of like why why these teams are good, or like why Joe Burrow is good at quarterback. You can't put your finger on it. I, he's there's plenty of quarterbacks with better arms, like better arm strength. They're more accurate. He's not very mobile, but he just gets it done. And I think that's just one of the biggest takeaways I'll take away from last week. And one of my biggest things getting moving forward is Joe Burrow just gets it done. I don't know what, if what it is about that dude, but he is like the, the opposite of what I saw Stafford in, in uh, Detroit where it was like, he had Stafford had all the talent, everything, but he could never get a win in the biggest scenarios and those types of where Joe Burrow. I mean, I, I don't even think the Bengals like are that great of a team. Like you look at their offense and there's so many better weapons out there for you know, I, obviously Jamar Chase is a great player uh, and they, they've put together a solid team, uh, but it's not anything you would say is dominant, but it's just, I think it's that Joe Burrow factor and he just gets it done. And he is, he is the, the perfect encapsulation of what this NFL season is where it's like, I don't know why, these teams are good, but they're really, really good. And it's, it's fun to watch. And then, like you said, I'm, I'm 
really excited to see how these uh, the NFC and AFC championship games uh, move forward. Uh, we're going to move on to baseball, though, as there was some news out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, which really, really excited me. Scott Rowland became the 18th third baseman ever to be elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's the fewest of any position. Only 18 third basemen are in the Hall of Fame, and Scott Rowland is the newest to be inducted, and I am so happy for him. Scott Rowland was one of my first favorite baseball players. I remember watching him play at Old Bush Stadium, and I was always amazed with what he did with his glove and with the bat. And I, I think that great glove is a huge reason why he's getting inducted uh, into the Hall of Fame. Eight-time gold glover. That's incredible at third base at the hot corner. His war, his defensive war, 21.2 defensive war. That's incredible. I mean, just a huge impact he made on the defensive side of the uh, of baseball. And then you've got that great defensive glove. He also had a great bat. 300 career home runs, 2,000-plus hits, 500-plus career doubles. Just an awesome, awesome player. Had a great career with several teams. Obviously, I think of him as a St. Louis Cardinal. Uh, I mentioned his defensive war. His war just in general for his career, 70.1. And just an incredible, he's a Hall of Famer. He's the ninth best war all time by a third baseman. I mean, incredible, incredible statistical career. I mentioned the eight gold gloves. He was also a seven-time All-Star. And then that one World Series championship in 2006 with the St. Louis Cardinals. He's an all-time favorite of mine. And I I mentioned a few weeks ago when Eric Berry uh, got inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Seeing guys you grew up on that were your favorites when you were a kid get put in the Hall of Fame means more. It means means a lot seeing uh, a guy like Scott Rowland, who I mentioned, like, I wore Scott Rowland shirts to uh, elementary school like every other day. Like he was like one of my first favorite baseball players. So this is really, really cool to see um, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff are the 2023 Hall of Fame class. And I, I just love it. I'm hoping, hoping and praying, fingers crossed, he goes in with the uh, red Cardinals cap instead of like a red Phillies hat. But either way, I don't care. Scott Rowland's my guy and I'm excited to see it happen and uh, excited to Get to call him a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's all I got about uh, Scott Rowland. Not all I got about baseball. It's a teaser. But I think you got a little bit of college basketball to tell us about. Yeah, I've been talking about college basketball and how uh, wide open the college basketball season was. I think I just talked about that last week. Uh, and then another one, number one fell last week in Houston as they fell. Uh, what was it? They they lost a Temple uh, on Sunday night in another big upset game. Just proving how wide open this season has been uh, as it feels like every week a number one team is falling. Hopefully that's foreshadowing for later this week as Michigan hosts Purdue uh, or, or maybe they're at Purdue. I don't know. Either way, they're playing Purdue, the number one team in the country. Hopefully that's foreshadowing for later. Uh, but uh, I have noticed a bit of a trend. There is a, hasn't been much of like – I can't really put my finger on much of the college basketball season, but man, the Big 12 is stacked with some of the best college basketball teams this this year. Uh, I think in the past few years, it's like the Big 10, sometimes the SEC, sometimes you know the Pac-12 with UCLA, and the Big 12 just kind of gets left out because it's, it's usually just Kansas and everyone else, and everyone's chasing Kansas. Not the case this year. If you haven't been watching the Big 12 this year, there are... Not only are there six teams in the top 25, there are three teams in the top 10 in Kansas State, Kansas, and Texas. Uh, and then Iowa State 
and TCU both lurking at 11 and 12. Uh, and it seems like they're in a dogfight. Like, there's something crazy happening in the Big 12 basically every night. Last night, Iowa State and Kansas State played each other. Five versus 12 matchup that just kind of went under the radar because that's Big 12 basketball right now. And Iowa State beat the number five team in the country, uh, Kansas State, which Kansas State all the way up at number five. I don't care what sport you're playing. That's a crazy thing in its own right. Uh, but then uh, then you look up and TCU beat Oklahoma by like 25 or 27 points. And TCU all of a sudden is looking like this team that could beat anyone. Uh, they're 15 and four. Uh, and every time it looks like they're beating teams by like 100 points every time you look. I think they're last uh, their last like two games they've won by a combined like 50 some points yeah they beat kansas 83 to 60 like <laughs> this is a and, and i'm we're talking about a tcu team who just made it to the college football playoff all of a sudden they're looking like a contender in college basketball uh what is going on in the big 12 all of a sudden this was a conference that was we talked about at the beginning of the uh, college football season it was like falling apart. Like they're going and, you know, they have to add four teams. They're desperately trying to now it feels like they're solidly the third conference. Like at least with basketball, the way that it's going, it feels like it's solidly the sec, the big 10, and then the big 12. And then the pac 12 and the ACC are, are rounding up the, the back end. But yeah, I'm impressed with what I've seen out of the big 12 this year that I haven't even talked about like teams like Baylor, like, Baylor, we all know, is a solid program with guys that are really good players, really high-rated recruits. So uh, that is going to be – if you have a chance to watch just any Big 12 basketball game, uh, you're going to have uh, a good time, I feel like. That's uh, that's the conference to watch this year. Uh, but we are going to move on to our final this week in sports stuff, and you've got uh, some Tennessee – Before baseball. I get to that, luckily this weekend is the SEC Big 12 Challenge – uh, and Tennessee takes on Texas, which will be a huge game in Knoxville. College game day will be there. Kansas plays Kentucky, and I know there's some other big matchups. That's one of the things I love about college basketball when they when they introduce those conference challenges. A lot of fun, and I thought it was fitting. You, you mentioned the Big 12 being so great this week. I got the Big 12 SEC challenge this weekend. Uh, but I've got other Tennessee news. We've talked about a lot, and this isn't Tennessee news, but we talked about a lot on the show, uh, former baseball players. They're having kids. And these kids are good at baseball. And we, we talked about the Toronto Blue Jays. That's kind of in the center of all that. But Manny Ramirez, who was a personal favorite of mine, I've got to talk about baseball players I like on this show. Scott Rowland, Manny Ramirez. Now, uh, Manny Ramirez has a son named Luca. Luca Ramirez is a top prospect, I believe, in the class of 2024. And Luca Ramirez decided to commit to the University of Tennessee to play baseball. Now, will Luca uh, absolutely wear orange as a college athlete? Who knows? Luca Ramirez could very well get drafted and never wear Tennessee orange. But just the idea of Manny Ramirez's son choosing to play his college ball, if he plays college ball in Knoxville, Tennessee, for Tony Vitello is so freaking cool because five years ago tennessee baseball was nothing i went to a tennessee baseball game i think in like 2012 after a tennessee fitting enough tennessee football spring game i went to a tennessee Ole Miss baseball game there was no one there i mean there were maybe like 20 people in the entire park now my, my father and i are planning a trip to knoxville uh this spring tennessee plays florida the weekend we're going Tickets are like $250 for a college baseball game. It's insane 
how much like this program has caught fire. They're they're a consensus top five team in every preseason poll, and just the culture switch Tony Vitello has brought. It's incredible. Like I would have never talked about college baseball in January normally, but Tony Vitello has changed the culture to where like I want to. And he's bringing in guys like Manny Ramirez, his son Luca Ramirez. I mean, he's considered a top prospect, and he's like, hey. I want to play for the top team, and that's Tennessee. And it's just really, really cool to see. Uh, and I, I really hope Luca does end up playing college baseball. One, because it seems like he's going to be awesome. And two, I want to see Manny Ramirez in Knoxville, Tennessee, wearing orange and white. I don't care if it's at a baseball game, a football game, a basketball game. I don't care what it is. To see Manny Ramirez wearing orange and white would be so cool. I think it's, he would be a great ambassador for the university. Just seeing Manny Ramirez. I mean, Manny Ramirez, if you're a baseball fan, he's one of the coolest to ever do it. And I just think it would be so neat. It makes me feel like a little kid just thinking about it. It's like two worlds colliding. And I just, something I would have never thought about. But that that's just me getting my Tennessee talk in for the day. Um, uh, I believe you've got another college athlete, or Luca's a soon-to-be college athlete. You've got a college athlete right now that you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, just earlier this week, uh, I believe it was on Monday, uh, Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes upset number two Ohio State on the road, 83-72. Uh, Clark notched a triple-double, 28 points, 15 assists, 10 rebounds. She's the first college athlete or college basketball player since Dwayne Wade to notch a triple-double against the number two team in the country. Uh, and there were some people online that were a bit upset that SportsCenter would lead uh, their show uh, with Caitlin Clark news. And I think those people uh, haven't been watching women's sports in the past 10 to 15 years because uh, if you haven't watched since 2005, you might think, yeah, like women's sports is still this, you know, dwindling thing that not many people care about not many people are tuned into i'm sorry people care about women's sports uh, now like it's just a thing and you're gonna have to deal with it and if people if athletes like caitlin clark are going out and putting up numbers like that you should care too i mean i don't know uh, you don't have to like enjoy it but you just you don't have to like crap on it because you don't think it's like what you want to watch uh i've as a as a journalist that's covered high school sports now, I cover a lot of girls sports. Uh, there's girls teams that are really exciting to watch. Uh, that I argue that the most exciting team I cover right now is a Division Four girls basketball team. Uh, they destroy every team that they play, and they're they're well coached. They do really they things differently than a lot of other teams, and it's it's to a point where like yeah, like girls sports and women's sports back in like the early two thousands. It was a different age, but like America was a different place. Like girls weren't pushed into being athletes, and nowadays it's a lot different. And there's there's girls that take their sports really seriously, and, and there's fans that take these athletes very seriously and want to hear about them. So the fact that like in your bubble that you're not listening and not hearing about women's sports news, and, and then you and, and then it happens to be on Sports Center. And then you get mad about it. It just it boggles my mind because it's like back then you're like, oh, you'd, you'd probably you'd probably use that as a way to de- degrade women's sports. Like, oh, it's not on Sports Center. Why would I care about it? Now it's on Sports Center. You're like, why are you putting it on Sports Center? It's it's such a backwards thought process where I realize people that hate women's sports 
I don't think they like legitimately care. Like I, I think they just don't like women and they just want to crap on women most of the time. And, and that, and that's where it's like, guys, like, let's just, I, I think we just have to like put those people off on, on a separate side and, and just go about things a different way. Because if, if, if you put those people out of there, like poisoning the minds of young men that, that think like that's the right way to think, women's sports could be a, a much higher point even now and i think it's it's taken they've taken a very uh a bunch of steps since even we were in high school uh but yeah i think we we need to stop even amplifying those voices that say those things because it's like you you haven't watched caitlin clark play she has she, she's legitimately an exciting basketball player to watch male or female so if you're trying to act like she doesn't deserve her spot on Sports Center. You're crazy. I, I just don't understand where you're at. You, you just have brainwashed yourself into thinking. You know, the hate on women's sports is something I've never understood. And I, I know I'm from a different scenario where, like, I was raised a Tennessee fan. So Pat Summit has always been viewed as, like, Mount Rushmore, like, but almost, like, above that. Like, Pat's, like, that's, like, above everything. Like, you respect Pat Summit more than anything. Like, she's the queen. And so, like, I, I've always had so much respect for the Lady Vols and what they did on the court. And then my high school, Murray High, our women's basketball team was, like, the best in the state of Kentucky. Like, winning state championships. Coach Rochelle Turner was, like, is going to be a Hall of Famer. She went from coaching Murray High's women's basketball team to now she's the Murray State women's basketball team so i've always had this high respect and i just it's just kind of been like yeah you you play the boys game you play the girls game it's the same deal and i and then you go on social media and as i've been exposed to more sports takes on social media it it really is like what are these people talking about it's like why why are you getting so worked up either you don't watch or you're just trying to just be an asshole at the end of the day, like there's no sense in it. And I, 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 and I'm not an ambassador for women's sports at all. I just love sports. And I, I tip my hat to like Colby Marcio, our friend, because he does a great job of um, giving women's sports news, just like it's sports news. And I think that's some people get annoyed at where if you try to compare it to men's sports, I, I can see like, yeah, I, I don't like that. Compare it to, the, that league I, and Kobe does a great job of doing that. And I love following Kobe on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok because he does a great job of highlighting women's sports. And I, I think that's a great thing uh, that us as a sports culture and just culture in general, we've geared more towards that. And I, I'm a big fan of it. I, I think it's a good thing. Cause like me, I grew up with it. I, that's I'm used to it, but I, obviously it's not the norm. And I, I'm, I'm glad or hope, hopefully we can get to where it's, it's more normal and more people are like, yeah, Caitlin Clark, that that's her. We've talked about a lot of that's him. She's her. And I, I mean, I think it's very evident that Caitlin Clark's had an amazing season. And I, I'm going to add this um, last night on ESPN, they showed a graphic and I, I can't remember the girl's name from South Carolina. But they were comparing her to Caitlin Clark for the player of the year. And, and this girl from South Carolina, South Carolina is very, very good. She's averaging like 12 points and nine rebounds. So like she's player of the year. And then it was Caitlin Clark averaging 27, seven and seven. That's LeBron numbers. And it's like, how can you even compare the two? Caitlin Clark's on another level, but it is what it is. I, I'm, I'm excited to uh, hopefully see we, us as a sports world get more to just being like, yeah, she had a triple double. It was awesome. And we don't have to have like big long talks about it, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think yeah, it, it's so mind-boggling to me now that I'm, I'm I'm in this world where I cover women's sports the same realm, and it's it, it, it 
it doesn't make sense to me that people would get so worked up about it. Uh, I've never had anyone approach me as a newspaper writer and be like, why are you covering the female games as much as the boys games? It's like, why? Because <laughs> they're playing. I, I don't know what you're talking. I, I can't. It's something that, that boggles my mind. But yeah, I, I hope it's something that we can just like separate those people and just kind of cut them out of, of the conversation at this point. And, and then we can really see where female sports can go uh, from that point on. We're going to move on from this week in sports now to the NFC and AFC championship games. We've got the 49ers versus the Eagles and we've got the Bengals versus the Chiefs. We'll start in the NFC. San Francisco and Brock Purdy take on the Eagles, Jalen Hurts and that crazy team in Philly. What do you like? Who do you like? Philly plays like they did last week. Philly's going to the Super Bowl and probably winning it. Like Philly looked incredible last week. They were laser focused. Obviously they're playing a Giants team that they do not like. And obviously they matched up well against that Giants team because they beat them twice already. And then they, the Giants came in to Philadelphia and got ran through. They're not going to run through the San Francisco 49ers. I just don't see a world in where they run through them. The 49ers are too well coached. They've got too many good players. I don't see it happening. But this is the biggest test, I mean, obviously, of Brock Purdy's young career, the NFC Championship. He hasn't lost the game. He's pla- he's passed every test with flying colors thus far. Uh, but, I mean, going in to Lincoln Financial Field, to play the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship when the Eagles all year, their goal has been to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. Man, that place is going to be rocking. And I don't know. It's hard to bet against the Eagles. I I really like this 49ers team. Got one of my all-time favorite players in Juwan Jennings playing wide receiver for him. But, man, it's hard to pick them. It it really is. I, I... I just I'm going more with my head than my heart. Last week I went a lot with my heart on these picks. I'm going to go with my head. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC Championship and uh, represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Who do you have winning between the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I feel like last week we doubted the Eagles a little bit. Not much doubted the Eagles as much as we're in on the Giants and thought that they had a chance. And man, Philly made that look really really silly uh i hate to, to bet against brock purdy again just because he's brock purdy but it's not just because he's brock purdy it's because of what he's going against in the eagles and i think uh i think their defense showed a little bit last week that like hey that's not just the jalen hurts aj brown show that you like they they are a complete team they have a lot of weapons they've they've done some things where they've like swindled guys like that i forget who that defensive back they got from the chauncey garter their nickelback from florida yeah yeah, yeah, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, like all, out of nowhere, is just one of their best secondary guys, and I, I forget what they said that they gave him up for, but it's like, yeah, that, that's those are the types of franchises that end up working in professional in professional sports leagues. It's like those guys, those GMs that can find a Chauncey Gardner Johnson and, and and swindle the Saints out of them uh, out of nowhere. Uh, like you, you, you realize on these playoff runs when you learn when you hear those stories and stuff like okay now it makes more sense how Philly became this team. It's not just you know Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown caught fire this year and and, and really found it. So uh, I think Philly is just like they've got a bit more destiny on their side. The 49ers, if if it was Trey Lance or even Jimmy G, I would think a little bit differently. But uh, I, 
I just think the Eagles are a little bit too much to get over the hump now. So I, I like Philly in this one. We'll move on to the AFC, the Bengals and the Chiefs. Uh, it's it's an interesting one with the Beng- with the way the Bengals are playing and the Chiefs dealing with Patrick Mahomes' injury. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. DH, who do you like in that one? This is tough to pick because it's obviously it's at Arrowhead Stadium, but Joe Burrow has had no problem going to Arrowhead Stadium and winning football games. And he's never lost against Patrick Mahomes. 3-0. and That's crazy. There is not many quarterbacks in the National Football League that can say they have never lost to Patrick Mahomes in this young career of Patrick Mahomes. And Joe Burrow has a injured Patrick Mahomes this weekend. Obviously, football is more than a one-on-one matchup. But obviously, this game is getting talked about a lot with this quarterback matchup, symbolizing it down to Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. If you're looking at it just like that, you've got a one-legged Patrick Mahomes, basically, against maybe like Joe Burrow at his best. I mean, Joe Burrow is functioning at a high level right now, doing great things. Just went to Buffalo and looked fantastic, led his team to a great win. I just think, going with my heart on this one, uh, not my head, because my head says Cincinnati, definitely. But since August, I've said Kansas City's on a mission. I've said that they lost Tyreek Hill, and a lot of people started doubting. There were people that thought the Kansas City Chiefs wouldn't make the playoffs this year. That was stupid. That that was just stupid. Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, if he's healthy, they're in the playoffs, obviously. And they've been one of the best teams all year. That connection with Travis Kelsey is incredible. Their defense is so underrated because they step up when they're needed. They make plays, and they get it done. And they've done it all year long. I think they can do it. There's people there saying, obviously, we're talking about it right now, but all all media personalities are like, well, Mahomes is injured, and the Bengals are coming off this great win. They're going to have all the momentum. I think the Chiefs are thinking the exact same thing and using it as motivation. And they're like, hey, they did it last year. The Bengals went in there and beat them last year. And the Chiefs are like, we can't let this happen. That, that creates a trend. And – Joe Burrow's going to be doing this for a long time. They can't have it where Joe Burrow's just going there and winning at Arrowhead every year. So they got to stand up, uh, make a stand. And I think they will. I think one-legged Patrick Mahomes is going to have an absolute legacy game this weekend to uh, lead the Chiefs to another Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs and Mahomes to have just – this is going to be one of those storybook games for Mahomes, I think, and adds to his legacy even more than he has already. Yeah, this is – I think one of the, we're going to look back on this one, and I think the trajectory of the AFC is kind of going to be decided in this one. I, I hate to say that just because if Patrick Mahomes with a bum ankle, it's tough to like say that he's at full strength, and this might decide how the Chiefs go from here on out because he could come back next year, be healthy, and run the league again, uh, just like he did this year. And he might have been on that that path. Uh, without this ankle injury. I think the ankle injury does make it a little bit tough, but uh, when you talk about Joe Burrow versus Pat Mahomes, I think this has been the destiny of this league for a while now. Even with Josh Allen, I think Josh Allen's, again, we've talked about the talent between him and and Joe Burrow, but uh, when you talk about just guys that get it done, it's Mahomes, he's won a Super Bowl, he's been there, he's done that, and and Joe Burrow, the the dude that made it there last year, and I, I talked about it earlier, like this this is more of a heart thing for me too, even though like my head also says like the chiefs have a bum, you know, the, the, not a bum. 
Pat Mahomes has a bum ankle and all that, but he'll burrow just get it done. I mean, every time you put him on a big stage, he gets it done. Outside of the Super Bowl last year, which I think was just too big of a, a mountain for a young Joe Burrow to climb, uh, I think – this might have been the same circumstance if you had a healthy Pat Mahomes, like the way that the Chiefs were playing. But you give him that little bit of weakness, and it's so hard to not pick Joe Cool in this situation. So I think I think Cincinnati on Joe Burrow's factor, the Joe Burrow factor alone gets it done on this one. Uh, I, I'm riding with Joe Cool in this one. That's our picks for the NFL playoffs. That's going to do it from the Dylan Dylan Show this week. Dylan, any final thoughts? Excited for the SEC Big 12 Challenge this weekend. Excited for these great conference championship games. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, yeah, I reckon that's all I got. That's all all for me. you have anything else to throw in there? That's all for me. That's all from us today. Here is where you can find us. You can find the Dylan and Dylan Show at Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports. Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports and on the web at TVSportsBank.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. See you later.